Hey, before we get into this week's message, I wanted to give you an update on our Be Rich week. We did Be Rich a couple weeks ago, you may remember. We actually had a whole series uh, leading up to a week-long blitz of love. And we have about raised $10,000 to be given back to our community. And 100% of that went back into our community. Isn't that incredible? Incredible. Um, we did home renovations for families. Um, we did one in particular that had a, a rotting living room floor, and it was estimated uh, that that would have cost her $8,000 to have a, a company come in and take that. And we did it um, in a day and saved her a, a ton of money. We, we paid for all the materials, sent the, sent the servant labor over there to do it. Um, we renovated a three-season porch for a local foster family, actually foster family from our church. They estimated around $10,000 job. Uh, that we went and did for them. We, again, we sent the labor, and that's still actually going on. If anybody is really interested in getting the work done, we have about a few tasks left to do on that. Um, we paid for about $1,000 worth of laundry um, for local families. We gave roughly $5,000 away to local families who are hurting and struggling this Christmas season so that they could provide a happy Christmas for their families. That's just incredible. We put about 700 volunteer hours into this task. And I just want to thank you. I want to thank Restoration Church for the way that we have represented Jesus within our community. This is something we're going to continue to do year in and year out so that the world might know that God is a God of love. Uh, generosity is one thing that we so desperately want to be known for here. And so start praying about how next November you can already get involved with our Be Rich campaign as we recycle that and go into our community and love in really practical ways. Of course, there'll be other opportunities throughout the year, but we're going to be doing this as a, as a tradition every November. I love doing it around this time of year because, in part, I think it's one way to express the thanks that we have for God um, around the Thanksgiving time. But then also it represents this beautiful Christmas story, a very tangible representation of the Christmas story. The Christmas story is all about how God saw a mess that he did not create, and he enters into it in order to redeem it, to restore it, to clean it up. And so when we go into the world, into our community, we meet people where they're at. And we would do what we can through God's love working through us and God's generosity working through us to help them out of the struggle. It's a redemptive act, isn't it? It's a restorative act. And so that is why we do it around this time of the year. And I'm so grateful that we get to do it as a body and that Restoration Church can represent God well in our community. So thanks for your part, whatever part you may have played in Be Rich. Thank you for your part that you have played. We are in a series, however, right now called Fear Not. And it's, a conversa it's, it's four conversations that various angels had with four different biblical characters, Christmas characters. And today we are going to discuss the angelic conversation to the shepherds. And the fear that I want to talk to you about today is a fear that I think a lot of people have, probably a lot of us have, certainly a lot of people around the world have. It's the fear of, where do I stand with God? You guys ever asked that question before? You guys ever been fearful of where you stand with God? For those of us who believe in God, or believe that there is more to life than this, that something will happen after we die, then I think a fear of where we stand for God is actually a pretty natural fear. You know, growing up as a child, I was scared to death of what would happen to me if I were to die. That's pr probably typical, but I, I, I had this, this fear. I would lie awake at night and think that if I were to die in my sleep, what would happen to me? And all I saw was darkness. 
And it scared me to death. And the reason I thought about why, you know, me dying when I went to sleep was because my parents would say this little prayer of me. Now, my parents weren't overly religious, and so they didn't know a lot of little prayers, but they knew this one prayer, and so they would come to me and they would say this prayer over me as I slept at night. And I think the only reason they knew this song was because it was referenced in a Metallica song. And that's the only reason they know this, this little prayer. But they would come to me and they'd say, all right, little Ross, you know, I'm a little four-year-old lying in bed, and they'd come to me and they'd say, all right, little Ross, I want to put you down to bed. Now I lay you down to sleep. Pray the Lord your soul to keep. If you should die before you wake, pray the Lord your soul to take. Good night, little Ross. Sweet dreams. You know, don't let the bed bugs bite. It's going to be okay. Sweet dreams. And I'm sitting there like, if I should die, why are you praying? Why am I, am I going to die? Dude? Like, what's happening to me? Am I going to die? Like, I, it was, I was scared, right? I was so fearful. And then my sister um, came home one day, and she told me about this series that had just come out called the Left Behind books. I don't know if you guys have read these Left Behind books. The Left Behind books kind of talk about this particular brand of theology when uh, there's coming a day in the future. Some people believe that um, there's going to be a time when everyone will just vanish. Those who are faithful and righteous will just vanish. They'll just disappear in the night. So my sister told me about this, and I'm like, oh my goodness, they're just going to vanish? Well, if I don't vanish along with them, what does that mean to me? That means that I'm not righteous, I'm not good enough, I don't meet God's standards, I'm not one of the faithful. And so every night, for like, I did this for like two weeks, I would sneak out of my bed and I would crawl down the hallway just to make sure my parents were still in bed. Because I was so fearful of what would happen to me if I were to die. What would happen to me if everyone were to vanish? Would I be one of those faithful? And so in order to make sure that I was on the nice list, I became a really, really good kid. Talked to my sister, talked to my parents. They would say, oh, little Rossi, he was such an angel. I'm still the angel of the family. I know, it's true. <laughs> Not because I was trying, though, because I have Jesus in me, though, right? I mean, that's... <laughs> and here's the thing, though. So I, I, I became a really, really nice kid, right? I followed all the rules. I was, I was behaving really, really well, but... As I eventually adopted the Christian faith, what that really nice mentality turned into was a legalistic, rule-following Pharisee. I followed all the rules, but I was doing it because I wanted the afterlife. Behind the mask of this religion, though, this, this, this religious person that I'd become and this legalism that I held onto was doubt and anxiety that I would never actually live up to the standard that I was trying to live up to. And there was this fear of where I stood with God. I always wondered where I stood with God. I bet some of you can relate. Today we're going to look at another Fear Not Angel story, and I implore you to pay attention because I think this message this morning could set some of you free. Here's what we're told. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Fear not. That's the King James. Fear not. The version we're reading from actually says, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid because I bring you, what do they bring? Good news that will cause great joy for all people. You know, our word gospel, we talk about this word gospel a lot, it literally means good news. The angels are proclaiming the gospel. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David. And what is the good news? A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Today I bring you good news. You don't need to be afraid. 
because a Messiah has been born, a Savior has been born to you. Now, what's really interesting about this story, at least to me, is who the angels appeared to. It was common in Jesus' day that if a family had the means to do so, if there was a birth of a child, they would uh, hire a herald to go out into their community and proclaim that a child has been born. Celebrate with us. A child has been born to us. Our legacy will continue. A child has been born. Something they were so excited about. We do this today in our day and age too, right? We send out birth announcements. We just do it through the mail. Not many of us hire heralds to run through the streets saying, a child has been born. As cute as Evelyn was, you know, that just wasn't our way of doing things. But in their day, it was very common that if you had the means to do so, you would hire a herald and you'd go throughout the town and you'd start screaming, a child has been born, a child has been born. They were so very excited. And that's essentially what God does here. God sends an angel to herald or to announce the good news that his son has been born into the world. But what's really interesting is who God sends the angels to. God didn't send the angels to the kings of the earth. He didn't send the angels to the religious leaders, to the priests, to the Pharisees, to the Sadducees, to the teachers of the law. He sent the angels to shepherds with an announcement that the one who would save the world has been born into the world. Now, what we don't understand is that the shepherds were one of the most disrespected groups that there was in their day. The shepherds were so disrespected. The job of the shepherd was so low that a father, if he had to have a shepherd in the family, would reserve that role for the youngest son because it was the most disrespected role within their society. It was usually reserved for slaves because it wasn't even worthy, really, of a son. And because shepherds were uneducated, they had no means of advancement in your career. If you were stuck within the shepherding role, there was nowhere else to go. You were going to be a shepherd until the day you died. And beyond that, according to the religious system, shepherds were always rejected by the religious system. The religious leaders taught that shepherds were not good enough for God. They could not be made right with God. Because of their occupations, shepherds could not live up to the religious rules of the day. And so it's really no wonder that they were always worrying about and lived in fear of where they were with God. According to the religious system of their day, they were told they could not live up to the standard that God demanded. They knew that they weren't right with God. The the religious leaders of their day told them that God was displeased with them. Because they could not be religious enough to gain God's favor. And so the shepherds probably felt very unworthy. Do any of you feel unworthy this morning? I think many of you may have been told specifically that because you didn't do this, you didn't do that, or because you did this and because you did that, then you cannot be in God's good graces. That God actually looks on disgust. Looks on you with disgust. And there's no way that God could love you because of what you've done. You know, you may have heard that from actual religious people throughout your day. You may have just heard that from the voices in your own head speaking that over you. There's no way God could love you because of what you've done. You're too dirty. You're too stained. Or because of what someone did to you, there's no way God could love you. And because you didn't go to confession, and because you didn't say your prayers, And because you didn't take communion, you were actually outside the grace of God. 
You guys ever heard those messages before? See, the reason the shepherds felt this way was because they were nomads. They were wanderers. Their job took them on the road and away from the temple and the religious community, and therefore they were declared ceremonially unclean. In other words, they could not be right with God. According to the religious system of their day, they could not be right with God. Religious people consider the shepherds spiritually dirty, so much that a religious person would not even touch a shepherd. They wouldn't even try to enter the same room as a shepherd if they could avoid it. Because if their body were to bump up against a shepherd, they too then would be ceremonially unclean for seven days. And so they stayed away from shepherds as much as they could, and so these were ostracized. They knew they were dirty. They knew they were filthy. They were told over and over and over again by the religious leaders of their day, you cannot be in God's good graces. And so you can only imagine how unworthy they felt. And the reality is, I think that's the case for many of us as well, because we come and do church, and don't we try to put on the church face? Do you guys know what the church face looks like? It looks like I'm nicely dressed up. I've come prepared to worship. I've put my best foot forward. I know of all the bad things I have done. Yes, I know they haunt me, but I'm going to set those behind a veil of the security and this mask that I wear as I come into a place like this. And we think, man, you know, if, if I know what I've done wrong, and I know the good things that I should have done, but I don't do, and I know the things that I shouldn't have done, but I do do, how could God ever love someone like me? How could God ever love someone like you? And then you look around at everybody else. And especially at Christmas time, when we're all so Christmassy, it's so cheery in here, you know? It's like, it's so beautiful, and everyone's dressed so nicely, and everyone looks so holy, and everyone looks so righteous, and they're like, wow, you know, we're all put together, and we're thinking to yourself, okay, you know, I almost killed my kid on the way over here. If you could have heard the words coming out of my mouth on the way to church this morning, we all know what that's like, right? I mean, I I, I hear stories, um, because I'm here so early, you know, I don't get the whole kid Sunday morning thing. Um, but God bless Emily's heart. Four kids on a Sunday morning all by herself. Goodness, you know, like, right? We're an honest church. It's not pretty. I'm sure it's not pretty, but you probably all know what your own story is like. For those of you who have kids or have ever had kids, you know what it's like, right? I mean, come on, you get into that car and you're like, come on, for the love of, will you just find your shoes or you put your shoe on, put your jacket on? I mean, we get this every day at school, going to school every single morning. I don't know what it's like. The anger and the wrath that spews out of my mouth towards my children. I am not a saint, my friends. My kids cannot just get it together and like, we're just, we threaten our kids constantly. Hurry the heck up, let's go. We're going to go worship Jesus today. Get it together. Find your shoes. Get your jacket on. You can't go out of the house like that. And then on the way to and on the way to church, we're just like, if there was a line, if I could reach my hand just a little bit further, I would strangle you right now. Get in the car. Oh, but then we get to church and we're holy and we're righteous and we got it all together and like, ah, oh, nothing. You know, we have the perfect little family and it's all, it's all so wonderful, isn't it? But then you come into a place like this and you sit down. And you're like, uh, you know, I, I think I kind of messed that up. I think I probably could have done better this morning. And I think like the shepherds, don't some of us just kind of feel unworthy sometimes? I think the shepherds also felt very inadequate because they could not measure up in society. You know, it, it's amazing when we compare ourselves to others how inadequate we feel, isn't it? 
<laughs> Ladies, you go into your friends' houses and um, and just it smells like candles. And um, and you can see their floor, and they have such beautiful floors, and their kids' hairs are brushed. And like you, you're like, man, I my my house smells like laundry, you know, and and uh, and I don't even know what kind of floor I have because you can't even see it. And I haven't seen a brush since 1990. And like, who knows? Like, my kids' hairs are never brushed. Like, my kids have rat nests for hairs, and that's not entirely true. But isn't it easy to compare what our lives are like to the lives of others? My kids were telling me about how we need um, more Christmas decorations on our, on our house this year. And I, I, I asked, I was, guys, do, do, do you like the way that we decorate our house? They're like, no. Haven't you seen our neighbor's house? Like, we live in a cul-de-sac, and all of our neighbors are like Clark Wizrold. It's like you can see their houses from outer space, and it's incredible, and it's beautiful, and we love where we live, but um, they're like, Daddy, why don't we do more? You know, why don't we do more? And I'm like, well, because we're going to save that money, and we're going to give it to hungry kids, because we're, you know, we're, we're, we're more righteous, and we want to love Jesus. And that's a lie, of course, because I'm like, no, I don't, I don't want to waste the money on lights. Like, I just suck as a dad. That's really why. I just, I'm not, I'm not very festive. <laughs> and it's kind of silly, but it's like, that's, that's where the inadequacy comes, you know? That's like how we're feeling. It's an the Muppet House, right? That's like, two, that's like two blocks away from us, the Muppet House, right? But this time of the year, I mean, we're constantly comparing everybody else to ourselves, and what does it create in us? It creates inadequacy. I think it really does. And even worse, spiritual, I think, when the shepherds compared themselves, they felt very inadequate. One of the big rules for them was that you had to keep the Sabbath. But because they were constantly on the road, because they were wanderers and nomads and they had to provide for the sheep seven days a week, they couldn't take a break. They couldn't honor the Sabbath day. And so physically, they could not do everything that they were supposed to do. And so I think the shepherds probably felt like constant spiritual failures. And I think sometimes we're like that, isn't it? I mean, we, we look around at all the p- other people, and we seem like, man, they, they seem really close to God, you know? Like, it's amazing that that person has a Bible verse for everything. And that person, like, can just quote books of the Bible. I'm like, I, I didn't even know that was a book of the Bible, you know? Like, I haven't touched my Bible in three years. I've never read the Bible. Like, when I pray, they're like, oh, when they pray, they're so holy. When I pray, I'm like, please, God, just don't let me kill my kids this morning. You know, that's, that's like, the, that's like the, the strength of the prayers I can muster. And we're constantly comparing ourselves and feeling this inadequacy because we just don't look, measure up. We just feel so unspiritual. And I think the shepherds probably felt this way as well. They felt very unworthy and they felt very inadequate. But I also think the shepherds felt very unloved. And in reality, most of the shepherds were thieves. And even if they weren't thieves, they were known for being thieves. The shepherds weren't trusted. People wanted to stay as far from the shepherds as absolutely possible. In fact, they were so distrusted that a shepherd wasn't even allowed to give testimony in the court of law because nobody would have believed what they said. The shepherds wanted to get married, right? They wanted to move away from this occupation. They wanted to start a family, but no father would ever entrust their daughter to marry a shepherd. And so most shepherds were always and forever single. They couldn't leave a legacy behind. There's no hope for future generations. It was going to die with them. There was no hope for a better future. They felt incredibly unloved, I think. And the reality is, so tragically, that many people probably feel that way today in our own society. Maybe some of you feel that way. There may be some of you here where, you know, your dad left you as a kid. And, and you never really understood why, but he just up and vanished one day. 
And then you always blamed yourself. Like, was it something I did? You know, is that why my father ran away from me? Is that why he left us struggling to survive? You know, what was wrong with me that my father couldn't stick around? I mean, it it was just me and mom. and, And what did we do so wrong that our father wouldn't love us? Or there may be some of you that you're going to have Christmas this year without your spouse because your, fo- your spouse just decided that he wasn't interested in this family anymore. And he decided to go somewhere else. And he just came to you and he said, you know what, I don't know, I just I don't love you anymore. I'm going to go start my life over here. And you're looking around at yourself, it's like, well, what did I do that was so wrong that he just couldn't love me or that she just couldn't love me and she had to go somewhere else to start something new? You know, I tried my best. I did my hardest. Like, I, I, I tried to make this work. What was it about me that couldn't be loved? And some of you look in the mirror, and you don't even like the person looking back at you. And you're like, if I don't like the person looking back at me, and, and I can't imagine that anybody else likes me, then how could God ever like me? And it's always so amazing, I think, that, that you know, the, the difference between perception and reality Perception on a day like this in church, I think we look around and we think, well, you know what? He's got it all together. And if they knew what was going on in my life right now, oh man, I just, I can't. I can't. But you know, he looks like he has it all together. And she's got it all together. And and, and they've got to be more successful than I am, right? And and they, they look like they've got a really good family, but I'm really screwed up, but they look really nice. And if they knew the way that I was feeling and how I was hurting... And here's just the reality, guys. You have no idea what's going on in the aisle across from you. You have no idea what's going on in the life behind you or the life in front of you or the life to your right, the life to, the, the life to your left. You have no idea. You know, there could be just three seats down from you, a single mom who is just absolutely ready to cash it in. Like, she is just, she, her, her, her wick is burned. Like, she has nothing left, left to give, and she's just ready to give it up. But if it weren't for her kids, she would just throw in the towel. And right in front of you, there may be a guy who's, who's doing the best he can to worship God, but he feels like an utter and complete failure because he's struggling so financially. And he knows that when his kids go back to school, that they're going to want to lie about how their Christmas was to all their friends because he just wasn't able to provide them with anything. And he's really hurting financially, and he's wondering how he is going to ever provide a happy Christmas for his kids. He wanted to give them so much, but he just didn't have the means, and he just feels like an utter and complete failure. And there's someone else, maybe even sitting in the row behind you, who's single. You know, all their friends are married, and they're just wondering, what's wrong with me? You know, why, why can't I get a date? Why can't I find someone to love me like, like all they, they do? You know, I'm trying to be a good Christian. I'm serving. I'm trying to be an effective person, and yet no one seems to want me. And that's a burden upon them. What's, what's wrong with me? You know, you may be sitting right in the middle of your section. Somebody may be sitting right in your section, and they look so successful. And they look like they have it all together, and they have more money than you and more things than you, but inside they're carrying such a burden and so much pain. And they don't have anybody that they feel like they can open up to. They're unworthy, inadequate, unloved. You know, the shepherds lived under a religious system where cleanliness literally was next to godliness. And so everyone in their day was told that if you want your life to go better, then get closer to God. Be more religious. Give more of your sacrificial time. 
Make sacrifices. Go to the temple more regularly. Pray more often. Do what you're supposed to do. Stay away from what you're not supposed to do. Follow the rules. Become religious. That's how your life goes well. But in fact, and in reality, religion, I think, made them even feel more distant than God. At least for the shepherds, right? Religion didn't work for the shepherds. I don't think religion works for us either. You see, God did not send Jesus into the world to bring religion to the world. But in so many ways, I think Jesus came into the world to set us free from the bondage of religion and to give us something so much better. You see, religion reduces Christianity down to a list of rules, do's and don'ts. If you do the right thing, feel better about yourself. If you don't do the wrong, if you don't do the wrong thing, then you feel better about yourself. And if I can just be a good person, right? If, if I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't go with the girls who do, right? If I can do those things. Then I'll feel better about myself. I'll be closer to God, and my life will go better. And if I do that, and I climb up that higher ladder, then I have every right to look down on you, who is not, you know, following the rules like I'm following the rules. Because I'm more religious than you, and I obey more rules than you. And Jesus looked at this kind of behavior, and he just said, this behavior makes me sick. I'm disgusted by this religious mentality that has been so ridden in our day because you look so clean on the outside, but your hearts are molding and rotting and you are disgusting on the inside. Where it matters, you are disgusting, you are filthy. My friends, you've completely missed the point. You see, religion did not work for the shepherds. It doesn't work for us because Christianity was never meant to be a religion, but it was meant to be a relationship with God. And that's why God sent a person, not a longer list of rules. And Jesus, from the announcement of his birth by the shepherds, he flipped this religious system on its head. This religious system that said cleanliness was literally next to godliness, and Jesus comes along and he says, no, 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 my friends, the dirtier your hands and acts of love and service towards others, the holier your hands become. Get messy, get dirty, just like I am. And to help you understand that religion doesn't fulfill the good news, I want to look at a statement that Paul gave to the church in Romans. You know, Paul, before he met Jesus, was the most religious, the most rule-following, pious, self-righteous man that had walked the, the plains of Palestine during this day. And here's what Paul, of all people, said to the Romans in verse 3, 20 through 22. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. You see, the, the law simply shows us how sinful we are. And my friends, you have, no idea, you have no idea how good this news is. Maybe you do understand how good this news is, but this is really, really, really good news. But what has God done, right? I mean, if the, if the law just simply shows us how sinful we are, what has God done? Well, God has shown us a way to be made right with him. And here's the good news. Without keeping... The requirements of the law. And so what does that mean? Well, we are made right with God, not by observing the law, but by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. So Paul, this religious rule follower, discovered that you cannot earn God's acceptance by being good enough for God, by doing all of the right things, by surely observing the law. And this is such good news for the shepherds, and it's such good news for us. Because they lived in a society where the people were trying to obey 613 commands. And Jesus comes along and he says, no, 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 that's, that, that's way too many. Why don't we just reduce it down to this? Um, love one another in the same way that I have loved you. All right, let's just reduce it all. Let's, let's get all the complexities. Love one another in the same way that I have loved you. 
See, they were trying to obey 613 laws, and the shepherds just, they couldn't do it. And so they were inadequate, and they felt unworthy, and they were told they were inadequate, and they were told they were unworthy, and they were told they were unloved. Because they could not please, they could not appease God. And now the good news is, you can't even do it even if you tried. According to Paul, you couldn't even do it even if you tried. Verse 20 says, no one can ever be made right with God by observing the law, by doing what the law commands. So why do we have the law? You know, what's the purpose of the law then? You know, what's it even there for? Well, it's to show us that we all need a Savior. As ironic as it is, the law was meant to show us that we need a Savior. Look very clearly. Verse 20 says, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. So why is the law there? It simply shows us how sinful we are. Now think about it. What does the law do? It reveals our need for a Savior. Now, in our culture today, one of the fundamental flaws, I think, of our culture is that we live in a culture that wants to puff each other up, that wants to convince us that we are okay in the way we are. But I think deep down inside, we all know and we all recognize that we're not okay. And so if I were to ask you, and if we were to go ask our world, hey, are are you guys generally good people? They'd say, yeah, I'm a good people. I mean, we know who the really bad people are, and we're not the bad people. And so, yeah, we're generally pretty good people. I'm a decent person, and so I must be okay then with God. But we're not talking about comparing ourselves to other people. We're talking about comparing ourselves to God's perfect standard. And then, my friends, none of us meet that standard. So just because it's Christmas, I want to just give you a little gift. I want you to understand how really horrible of a person you really are. And so, <laughs> how, many, how many of you, if you just want to raise your hand as I ask this question, so that I just, I just know that you guys are with me this morning. How many of you have ever told a lie? All right, I've, I've told lies, right? I mean, this isn't a rhetorical hand raise. I'm, I'm raising it with you guys. Um, so look at all those people who don't have their hands raised. And say, you liar, okay, because we're all told lies. Um, nobody is exempt from this one, I don't think. I think at some point we've all told a lie within our lives. Okay, so um, how many of you then would um, say that you've stolen something? How many of you have ever stolen something? I stole something. I stole a candy bar when I was about seven years old. I put one in my pocket, and I put one at the register, and I paid for it, walked out of the, the store. I felt horrible, horrible, horrible after it. Okay, we've all, we've all probably a lot of us have, have stolen something. How many of you have ever been angry with someone or called someone an idiot? Yeah. Do you know what Jesus says about that? He says, you've already murdered that person in your heart. <laughs> Merry Christmas for that one, okay? Um, and that you, you, don't, you don't have to raise your hand for this one because I don't want all the, all the spouses out here to get angry with each other. But how many of you have ever looked lustfully at another person? You know what Jesus says about that? He says, you've already committed adultery with that person in your heart. And so we're a church of lying, thieving, murderous adulterers, okay? So Merry Christmas. Welcome to Restoration Church. Thanks, thanks for being here this morning. But I, I, I hope that you understand the truth behind that, right? We're all in this similar situation where we are all screwed. Like, let's get to the bottom of this, guys. We, we are in need of a Savior. We are sinful. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. And that's what it does. You can't miss it, right? Until you see how deep your sin goes, my friends, you will never know your need for a Savior. You're, just, you're never going to understand it. You're never going to grasp it. It's never going to make sense to you. When you rec- recognize that you're not a good person compared to God, then you are going to recognize, oh my goodness, I am in desperate need of God's grace. And when you realize that you're a sinner, you know what you're going to do? You're going to do what everybody else does. You're going to go and try religion. 
You're going to do exactly what the religious people told the shepherds that they needed to do. You're going to go and try religion. You may not do it in a church or a mosque or a synagogue, but you are going to do something and attempt to remove the guilt and the shame that you know that you feel. This is the universal solution to the universal problem that all of humanity has. You're going to do something. You're going to pay back or drink it down or take a pill. You're going to work hard. You're going to say a prayer or make a sacrifice. Move to a different town. You're going to run away. You're going to do something to try to rid yourself of the guilt and the shame that you feel. Everybody, I think, is trying to fix an inward problem with an outward solution. And what I pray for, for this community, is that we would be a people who realize that religion does not work. And it cannot save you. But the good news is that 2,000 years ago, the angels announced that a Savior has been born. And who did he announce it to? The most unworthy, the most inadequate, the most sinful of all the people in their community, the shepherds. A Savior has been born unto you. You see, Christianity was never meant to be a religion, but a relationship with a loving God. And so he sent his son to reveal just how good that he is. See, the good news teaches us that being made right with God comes by faith in Christ alone. Jesus alone is the way to salvation. It puts Christ at the very center of it. It's not Christ plus religion. It's not Christ plus church membership. It's not Christ plus tithing. It's not Christ plus good works. It's Christ plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing is the good news. In verse 22 of Romans 3, right? We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. How are we made right with God again? By doing what? Faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true of everybody who believes. It doesn't even matter who you are. It's for everybody. See, the angel appeared to the shepherds, the people that religion had rejected, and said, my friends, don't fear. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. You can find favor with God. Not through what you do or you don't do, but because of what Christ is going to accomplish. See, religion is all about us. But a relationship is initiated by God on our behalf. Religion is all about doing, but relationship is all about what has already been done on our behalf. And my friends, I think this is a game changer, and I hope that it's a game changer for you. I hope that we might become a people who continually say no to religion, to trying to strive harder and harder harder to earn God's acceptance, but we would recognize that through Jesus we are accepted, and we then would allow that grace to change us. So no matter how bad you have been, no matter what you have done, no matter how inadequate you feel or unloved you feel or unworthy you feel, know that God has come to your rescue. That we are made right with God, not because of our good works, not because of our religion, but by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true of everybody who believes. And let's say this last part together. No matter who you are, no matter what you have done, no matter how you feel about yourself, my friends, God loves you. I'm going to invite the band forward, and we're going to reflect on this as we sing one final song together this morning. So last night I had a dream. Here we go, right? Uh, it's a holy vision. Um, no, it, it was super vivid and clear. You guys ever had any dreams that you're like, wow, that was like clearer than a normal dream? Like I, I remember this a little more vividly than I do usual dreams. 
Um, Emily and I were in this dream. We were going into a restaurant, but we kept complaining about the, the layout of the parking lot of this restaurant. It was like, man, why? This is so stupid. It's so hard to get into this parking lot. And then when we finally did get into the parking lot, the spaces were just like, who designed this? Like, it was so irritating to us that the parking lot map and the layout of the parking lot was just so poorly done. So poorly done. We eventually park, we go in, and we see our friend Selene is, is having a conversation with a woman at a table. And she invites us, she sees us, hey, hey, Ross and Emily, come and sit down, you know, um, join us, join us for dinner. And when we sit down and we learn that the, the woman that she was having a conversation with had just lost her infant son. And the son actually never even made it out of the hospital. And as we're sitting there grieving with this woman, another woman approaches us, and she's holding this, this younger man's hand, and this younger man's face was all deformed. And she says, hey, hey, Ross and Emily, this is my son, and he's been deformed since he was a child, since he, since he was born this way. And then a, another woman approached, and she was pushing a, a young girl in a wheelchair. And... And she said, you know, when my daughter was 10 years old, she was hit in a car accident by a drunk driver. And she's been paralyzed ever since. And, and this went on and on and on. Like, you know, other, other women just kept bringing their children to us that, that were either, you know, deformed or hurting or broken. They were deaf, they were mute, they were blind. You know, something had happened to these kids. And it was only mothers, you know, bringing their children to us, and they were just, like, grieving with us. Like, why is the world such a mess? Why is the world such a broken place? Why are my children this way? And, and the first question that came to my mind when I woke is, like, where were all the fathers? And I think I have an answer for that. I'm not going to go into that this morning, but I think I have an answer for that, unfortunately. And I looked at this table full of weeping mothers, and I, and I just started to cry with them. And then here's what I, what I said in my dream. And this is why I think this, this dream is interesting because um, I don't I, I, I often remember, I guess, what I say or if I'm even speaking in dreams. Isn't that kind of weird that we don't actually say much in dreams? It's more of an experiential thing. But Here's what I said. I said, please don't discredit God's love for your children. Please don't discredit God's love for you because of what you have experienced. You know, John, one of the, the, the first followers of Jesus, in one of his letters, um, he says something so profound and it's so brilliant and it's so earth-shattering. But you have to realize that John is in a day and age when he had seen literally his, all of his best friends were killed in brutal, horrible, merciless ways. I, including, of course, Jesus, right? He had seen the most horrible atrocities that humanity could throw at people. And yet at the very end of his life, after he had been imprisoned unjustly and banished, he looked at his torn apart body, his body marked with scars, covered in scars, covered in bruises from being beaten for most of his life. And he penned three of the most important words that you will ever understand, my friends. God is love. How could he do that after what he had experienced? How could he say that after what he had experienced? And then there's this guy named Peter, right? He was another one of Jesus' followers. And he watched so many of his community, 
His closest friends, his closest families were dragged into Nero's circus and they were clothed in blood-soaked dog fur and they were fed to lions. And then because Nero wanted these uh, arena games to go into the night, he would take all of Peter's friends as well and he would douse them in oil and he would impale them on sticks and then he would throw a torch on them and light them up so that they could continue to kill his friends throughout the night. Peter himself, who would eventually be crucified, after witnessing such horrible, horrible atrocities, was still convinced that God cares for you. How could he write that after what he had experienced in life? I think it's because what Jesus comes to announce and what the birth of Jesus does for all of us who feel, why God, why is this happening to me? Why did this happen to my family? Why did this happen to my son and my daughter? Why is this happening to me? And and the answer, I, I think, is that we do not leverage God's love against the human experience. We leverage it against the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. What has God done in the midst of our pain? I woke up from this dream. And here's the reality, my friends. I think, I think there is pain in this room. I think there's sorrow. I think there's brokenness in this room. I think there's a lot of people who feel unloved and unworthy and inadequate. I think there's a lot of people who have gone through really, really horrible atrocities and really, really horrible experiences. And at the end of the day, I hope that we can come become a people who say, God is love. In light of all that I've experienced, I'm convinced because of what God has done on my behalf that God is love, that God cares for me. My friends, do you want to know what God thinks about you? Do you want to know where you stand with God? Jesus Christ has come to the world to provide you a Savior. God loves you. God loves you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love of us. In times where, where we, we question it, God, in, in times where we wonder about your capabilities, in times where we wonder about your existence, I pray that we would remember that to the shepherds was announced that a Savior has been born. A Savior has been born to the most unworthy, to the most inadequate, to the most unlovable people upon the planet, the people who have gone through the worst and the worst and the worst, the people who have seen the most atrocities, a Savior has been born unto you. Father, thank you for Jesus. May we be a people who can confidently declare you are love, you care for us, and so let us be a people who cast then our cares upon a God who loves us. Amen.